0: This is Matt Miller, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Seven, six, five, four. We have main entrance Two, one. Booster ignition and lift off. Countdown
1: to launch. Fall TV 2010 on the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com. The leading source for scriptwriting information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Scriptwriting Software, the entertainment industry standard for scriptwriting worldwide. Hello, my name's Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to episode number one of the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, for Monday, August 16th, 2010. A little bit about me. I'm a reality TV editor and produced writer located in Toronto, Canada. And you may know me from another podcast that I do, Chuck vs. the Podcast for NBC's Chuck. It has been voted the number one TV-themed podcast in Podcast Alley's TV and Film category continuously since December 2008. And uh, in my experience with the podcast, I found that I just loved speaking to the writers and hearing their stories, I looked around for a podcast that was dedicated to TV writers and honestly couldn't find one. There were quite a few podcasts that were about features and, uh, and about other uh, types of writing, like novels, and, and a lot of them were just kind of a smorgasbord of, of all types of writing. But there was not one devoted to TV writers, despite the fact that there are roughly 10 times as many writers in television as there are in features. So I decided, let me start one. I was approached by Script Magazine, and they thought that the TV writer podcast idea was a great one and would be a really good fit for the podcasts that they already do on features. So that's how the partnership was born. And it's a great privilege to work with Script Magazine. Um, they're, they're honestly a great magazine and very well connected. And I think they're going to help the podcast to really, really do well. In today's inaugural episode, it's going to feature executive producer and showrunner of Human Target on Fox, Matt Miller. I had the privilege of speaking to Matt a few months ago when he was finishing up season three of Chuck. I've decided to start with that interview because he tells all about how he started in the Peter Stark producing program at USC and then all of his experiences leading to actually creating his own show um, and then going on to be staffed on Chuck. He talks about co-writing and, uh, and a whole bunch of things that are relevant to the TV Writer podcast. If you've already heard that interview and you want to skip ahead, it's just under 26 minutes long. Then, later in the episode, we have my most recent interview with Matt, which is all about Human Target. Unfortunately, I found out at the last minute that he only had about 15 minutes to talk, so I wasn't able to ask a lot of fan questions. However, I'll be talking to more Human Target writers in the coming weeks, so I'll keep your questions handy. Uh, You can stick around for after the interviews, as I'll be telling you about some of the resources available and what to look forward to in the coming weeks. And now, I'm going to roll my first interview with Matt Miller in the beginning of April of this year, while he was still an executive producer and writer on Chuck. Enjoy. So I want to welcome writer Matt Miller to the podcast. Uh, How are you doing, Matt?
0: I'm doing great, thank you.
1: I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, and, and you're not only a writer, but you're an executive producer on the show, and you're a director as well.
0: That's true. I am a director, although I haven't directed any Chuck. Mm. We we talked about directing one when we got the final 6 picked up uh, this season the extra 6 cuz we were really really looking for directors but um, it just didn't work out. I was really busy um, and uh, you know maybe next season. Mhm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well well let's uh, let's take it back a little bit and talk a little bit yeah. more about your background. So sure. you, you started out at
0: USC? I did. I went to uh, I didn't go to SC with Josh and Chris. Mhm. But I did go to SC. I went to graduate school at SC. What years were you at USC? Uh, I was at USC, uh, let's see, 93 to like 95. hmm And I was in a producing program there called uh, the Peter Stark Program, which is not necessarily geared towards writers. It's about 25 people a year, graduate students. that are sort of motivated to be in the, in the business end of the business. Mm-hmm. And then everyone there sort of just usually decides they would rather write.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so myself and a number of my classmates, I, I, I got a job when I graduated at Peter Stark, prestigious Peter Stark program, as a waiter in a restaurant, <laughs> and just started writing. So yeah, yeah. it was a good experience for me to do it, and I would recommend it. But you know, it doesn't always necessarily lead. It's not like you graduate the Stark program and, and you automatically sort of get a job and some mm-hmm. end of the business.
1: It's a little interesting because uh, I might have actually met you. Um, I was accepted to SC grad school in 94, and uh, okay. I, I visited the campus, uh, was getting oh, everything yeah? set up, and, and I actually couldn't get the money together for the international fees. So oh, yeah. I ended up staying it, in Toronto.
0: Yeah, I got to tell you, it's, it's super expensive, and I, and I don't, I mean, the other graduate programs I think are a lot better. I, I, the Peter Stark program is a very good program. It's a very prestigious program. But it depends on what you want to do. If you want to write or something like that, you're probably, you know, maybe better off just writing. Mm-hmm. So in
1: in 1996, you had a short film, Understanding Olivia, and you were <laughs> producer, director, and actor on that one.
0: That was that was part of Peter Stark. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was, still, I was still in grad school at USC, I and mean, I and I, I was only in, I, that was which started off as a, uh, a a weekend goof with myself and uh, a friend of mine. We just decided that would be our. The big uh, Peter Stark project, and Peter Cohen was a producer on it. Who was a classmate of mine at SC, and uh, my friend was the other actor. It was it was real, uh, real professional organization over there. (laughs) Those were the days. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So now uh, on IMDb, it jumps a little bit, mm-hmm. and it says that in '99 you you were the creator of a series called Grown Ups. But what what happened in between?
0: Well, '99 is probably when that show aired. Between '96 and '99, you know, again, I finished up graduate school, and then I got a job as a waiter in a restaurant, and I was writing like a novel and a bunch of other stuff, and um, was able to get a break where uh, a script that I had written. Um, I was able to sell, and then I got a job to write a movie for Fox, which got me out of the restaurant, and so I was able to, you know, write for a living. Now, you know, when you look on INDB, they only have the produced credits; they mm-hmm. don't have everything that you end up doing, you know, along the way. And I'm sure everyone has, you know, jobs, and maybe it's a script that you sold, or a TV pilot that you did, or a, you know, um, book that you were adapting, or whatever it is. But, but the only the only things that are published on that. Website are the things that they actually end up shooting and airing and mm. putting on somewhere. So, yeah, there was, there was. So, I was doing. I was working as a waiter, and then I sold this script and was able to get out of the restaurant. And then um, I was able. I was very, very fortunate and very naive, and was able to pitch a uh, TV series with really no television experience, <laughs> wow. or credits, or, or knowledge of any kind. And I pitched the show, and it was supposed to be a one hour. Uh, kind of dramedy about uh, my friends and I called The Grown Ups. Mm-hmm. And the network bought it and seemed happy with it. And then they called me one day and said, you know, "We really like the script. We have a couple of small changes. And the first thing was, can you change it from a half hour to one hour? <laughs> oh, my goodness. And then they asked me to change it from um, single camera to multi-camera, which basically means a sitcom. And the last thing they said is, we have, we have uh, a piece of talent attached that we'd like you to sort of gear it towards. And I said, well, who do you have? And they, uh, they told me that they had the artist formerly known as Urkel.
2: Okay. <laughs> who's
0: a gentleman named Julia White, a very nice young man. So, uh, so that was my first foray into television. It was sort of, I don't know, it was like 27 or 28, maybe it was 29, somewhere in, the, in my late 20s, and I was running a television show knowing nothing about what I was doing. Wow. Which was a half-hour sitcom starring, uh, starring Julia White. Wow. We did that for a season. Did 22 beautiful episodes of that.
1: Now, so that, that was sink or swim, and I guess you, you swam.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. My, my first hire.
1: I was a little interested. You, uh, you worked with someone called Scott J. Rosenbaum on that one. I did. I did. Is that the same Scott Rosenbaum that was on Chuck?
0: That is. That is. So Scott Rosenbaum um, was my roommate at the time. Oh, you're kidding. We both out here. Yeah, we moved out here together. Uh, we went to college together in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We moved out here together. And then when that show got picked up, I really had no idea what I was doing. And about you know 200 scripts arrived on my doorstep to, to hire writers to staff mm-hmm. on the show. And so I turned to my roommate, Scott Skeeter. He's, he goes by and said, you know, you want to work on the show? He said, sure. I said, you're hired. Start reading.
1: <laughs> That's great.
0: <laughs> and the two of us. <laughs> yeah with no experience, nothing to do. We set out to uh hire the staff and and put together that t v show so so yes yeah, skeeter uh scott did did work on that with me. that was our first time working together uh or at least getting paid to mm-hmm. and then um you know years later, when Chuck came up, we started working together again
1: well wow, that's great actually he he was on our most recent podcast oh no, perfect there you. go. Yeah. Now, in between then and Chuck, you, you wrote and directed a romantic comedy, um, The Perfect You, or yeah, I, is it right. Crazy yeah. Little Thing? I, I was a little confused by well, the Crazy title. Little
0: Thing was what uh, someone, I don't know, one of the producers who sold it to whoever, uh, they changed the title. I had nothing to do with that. But the, yeah, the title was Perfect You, and it was a, like a million dollar independent movie that I wrote and directed. It was great. It was blast, and thinking, think you can get it on like Netflix. And uh, yeah, it was a really wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. It was like 20, 22 days or something like that in New York.
1: Great. And then uh, yeah. uh, you did a, a TV movie, Dynasty, The Making of a Guilty Pleasure.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. After that, after The uh, Perfect You, I had a meeting with ABC, and then I knew the producer it was this guy named Greg Ugliotti, and so they uh, were, they wanted to do a kind of... Boofy movie about the dynasty. Mm. I had never really watched Dynasty growing up, or like you know, I'm vaguely familiar with it. So I'd watched some episodes and sort of had this big lofty idea that we could do Dynasty as sort of a metaphor for greed in the eighties. Oh, okay. So the whole thing sort of took place at the you know beginning of eighty and, and spanned sort of the nine years there, ten years of the decade. It was nine years I think that the show was on for, and uh, you know had this sort of uh, lofty aspirations. We're going to do that. And that was also a really wonderful experience. Worked with great people. We shot that actually in Australia for for a few months. Mm -hmm. So that was great.
1: Was that at the same time as as, uh, Las Vegas was happening? Or or did Las Vegas come after that?
0: that No, I went on to Vegas sort of right after, immediately after that. And you were
1: two or three years on Las Vegas?
0: That was two seasons on Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. yeah. As a producer and a writer on that. I had been writing, uh, I'd written some pilots for NBC that sort of brass at NBC. Um, and again, you know, as you know, on Allie DB, it's just like the things that are actually shot, but there's yeah. a lot of jobs in between. And uh, I'd written two pilots for NBC that fall and for a variety of reasons. They didn't happen, And they, but they had said, hey, would you come work on the show uh, Las Vegas? And I'd never staffed on a show before. And I sat down with uh, a guy named Gary Scott Thompson who created the show and Gardner Stern, who was the executive producer there, and um, yeah, they were nice enough to hire me, and went on and did that for two years, got to work with James Caan. Great. Yeah, it was incredible. He was an incredible guy.
1: And uh, and then came Chuck. So so tell me about your introduction to Chuck. Had you had you seen the pilot, or or what stage did you
0: come on? Yeah, I'd seen the pilot. Um, I saw it in the editing room with uh, Josh Schwartz. Because I, I, during this whole time, I, I've known Josh for many years. In fact, Josh was one of the few people telling me not to do the grown-up show when they turned it into the Julia White sitcom. <laughs> okay. Uh, and we were real good friends, and we've been very good friends for a while. And, uh, and him and I actually are, are doing a pilot as well right now, um, a sitcom.
1: Mm-hmm. That's uh, Hitched?
0: Hitched, exactly, yeah. exactly. But 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 before that, so uh, you know, we'd always been real good friends. But now, and we talked about working together on a variety of things, and just nothing ever kind of worked out, or it was right, or for whatever reason. And so Chuck, you know, seemed like a really good fit and a good thing for us to for us to do. And and so after they had uh, shot the pilot, I went and, uh, and screened it in the editing room. Thought it was just terrific. And so you know, I I had to meet Chris and met. Uh, Mr. Fedak. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was, it was good. It would just all seemed like, you know, right opportunity at the right time. And so we, we've had a blast doing it. It's been phenomenal.
1: Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to recap for, for the viewers. Um, of course, every writer's in the writer's room, but you've the, the scripts that you personally wrote were uh, Chuck versus the Tango, um, Imported Hard Salami, The Seduction, mm-hmm. The DeLorean, uh, The mm-hmm. Beefcake, uh, The Colonel, which is a fan favorite. Uh the mm. pink slip—the first episode of the third season, natural yeah. sampler—and then most recently, last week's episode, American Hero. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. definitely some some great Chuck, and we don't have time to talk about all of those, but yeah, um, maybe maybe what you can do is is throughout the process, you must have had either a favorite episode or a favorite moment. What what kind of stories can you tell about uh, the last couple of years? Maybe a a scene that was cut that you loved, or or just <laughs> just a taste from behind the scenes.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, um, first of all, it's a very collaborative medium. So we, we do sit in that writer's room all day, every day. And then different writers, you know, and we break the story and we really break it. Like every single beat is is examined and discussed. And, um, and then, you know, certain writers just, just go off and write them. Um, but, uh, and, you know, it's always a very different process because there's the one thing when you get the idea and it's up on the board. And there's another phase when you write it. And then there's mm-hmm. another phase when you shoot it. And there's another phase when you edit it. And, and so sometimes things, you know, uh, come out better than you even thought they could. And sometimes, you know, you sit in the editing room and say, ah, well, I feel like we missed, we sort of left a little on the table here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, that, and that happens, you know, all the time. And it's, it's a painful process where... You know, when when you realize or you think something wasn't fully realized, but then there's also the side where you sit in the editing room and you think, "Wow, this this thing came out great," and um, and you know that happens that happens a lot too. So it was really great. And I don't know if there was, you know, I think that again I think some of these episodes came out really really well. I think that the Delorean was maybe an episode that uh, I thought we maybe left a little on the table on that one, mm-hmm. um, in terms of what it could have been. I thought the Colonel came out came out really well. Yeah. I was really happy with that and uh Peter Lauer, who directed it. and every time a new director or a different director comes in there's always a different feel that they give to mm-hmm. the show. So uh I think when I sat in the editing room for for Colonel even though you know sometimes you sit in there and some scenes aren't working but you know you can the materials there to shape them. Mm-hmm. And so and that was just so much epic just storytelling that was happening in that episode in terms of You know, Captain Awesome learning about Chuck, who at that time was, you know, now there's been other characters. but At the time, it was the first person outside the immediate circle of Casey and Sarah to find out who it was. And, you know, there was a near hookup with Chuck and Sarah. Mm -hmm. And then Chuck and the Intersect out of his head. So there was a lot of, you know, things in favor for that episode. It had a lot of big, epic moments and just sort of always knew that thing was going to be big and cool and epic. And then there's, you know, like the door and a smaller story about Sarah's father coming. Or I, I actually liked a lot um, the seduction. I liked, you know, and we all, as a, as a show and as a staff, and, you know, we all really loved the Roan Montgomery character. Kind of oh, role. yeah. And he was someone that we had sort of had in mind for a while. And even, you know, when we were picketing during the strike in between the first and second season, we'd be walking the strike line and talking about Roan Montgomery
2: mm-hmm. and how
0: we wanted to get back in there and create him. And, you know, and then you have, and I think John Marquette did a wonderful job, but you have a variety of ideas of who you want to play that part and how you want, want all that to to turn out. But I, I do think that episode came out nicely. But, you know, it's always a little different, the script to stage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and and you have at least the, the privilege that your, your writing offices are literally in, on the same, like just down the hall from the editing suites, and you're just a few yeah. minutes walk away or on those golf carts to ah. where they're shooting. I mean, I know there's some sh- shows that shoot in one city and, and, yeah. and are written in a completely different city.
0: I, I'd be willing to bet our editors would like to be very far away from us. <laughs> I'm sure they would prefer to be in Vancouver if uh-huh. possible. But, uh, yeah, it's great for us because you can pop in there constantly. And we're always, even before you know, the, final, the edits even been made, we're always sort of sniffing around the editing room asking the editors how to come out, how to come out. And uh, sometimes they're honest with you and sometimes <laughs> they lie if they don't want to even, because they know if they tell you it's not turning out so good. You know, you always can fix it in the editing room. But even if, you know, you then you'll get particularly neurotic and you'll just keep pestering them all day with other questions. What doesn't work? What do we need to do? Do we need to reshoot anything?
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I love the pickup lines, too. I, I know um, when I was there in September... I saw some early cuts, and <laughs> it was funny to hear everybody's voices in 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 the cuts. I, I What I'm saying is, like the editor's voice instead of yeah, uh, yeah, so I yeah. You right. realize,
0: yeah, you need a line here, a line there, and you have them say it in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah it happens all the time. And then we'll get the real actors to come in during the looping process and, and put their own voices in. But for a while, you have you know whatever uh, assistants standing in the hallway, you drag them in, mm-hmm. and they have to say uh, they have to say the words. Yeah, it's a fun it's a fun process. Yeah.
1: Well, let's uh, let's move on to American Hero. I mean, it was just uh, okay. aired uh, last week and and of course you yeah. you've written one or two since then?
0: Yeah, uh, let's see. American Hero was tw- I probably well, I wrote uh co- I, you know, again I, with 12 I, I co-wrote that with uh Phil Klemmer and yeah. Max Bey. Um, I actually did all my writing this season was in a co-variety.
1: Oh, all the writing, really?
0: Yeah, I didn't I didn't I, I, uh, I had a very tough year, so I was you know, I had another kid, and I was writing uh, two pilots and, and doing the show. Mm-hmm. So I, I co-wrote as much as was, was reasonable. Yeah. So I co-wrote the first one with, um, with Chris Fedak, and then I co-wrote the, the, the sixth one, which was uh, The Nacho Sampler with Scott Rosenbaum. And then co-wrote 12 with uh, Phil Klemmer and Max Danby, And Max uh, is our writer's assistant. Oh, okay. So it was good for him to get his first produced credit where he got on that, on that episode. And then he ended up co-writing another episode later for us in the season. Um, and then I co-wrote uh, episode 18, which is the second to last episode, uh, with uh, Ali Adler and uh, Phil Klemmer.
1: Great. Great. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about the process then of, of co-writing. So when you, wrote, mm-hmm. when you co-wrote American Hero with, with Phil, um, yeah. were there's, did you, you trade off scenes or did you pass drafts to each other? or, or Yeah, how?
0: well, you do, you do a little. I mean, it depends on, on the situation and the circumstances and how much time you have. I think with, with, usually what you end up doing or what we do on the show is, you know, you sort of divvy up the acts. You do mm-hmm. it by act someone will take uh, the first three, someone will take the last three, or someone will take the first and the second and the fifth, and someone will take the second, third, and fourth. However you want to do it, you divvy up the acts, and you both write them, and then you sort of pass your acts back and forth and allow the other person to give notes or give thoughts or do some writing on those acts as yeah.
1: well. Well, it's great that you guys have been working together for so long, because uh, yeah. you have the tone, and you have uh, I mean, you would yeah. never know that, that, that you guys were writing different acts.
0: Right, right, right. you got to make sure everyone's nailing their voices, and but by season three, it's you know we've all been there since the first season, so it's not like there's any hasn't been too many changes in the writing staff, so it's been a pretty tight group, and we all kind of have the same tone and voice for what we want the show to be, so it makes it easier that process where someone's not writing a completely different show, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, and so originally episode twelve was supposed to be setting up the finale, which was going to be episode thirteen. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, the number one? Um, how that might be different than, than just uh, the run in the middle episode uh, setting up the finale. And then all of a sudden finding out that NBC was ordering another six. And and did you have to retool?
0: Yeah, it was, it was a very big challenge because we had designed the season around, you know, making, blowing it out with 13. Mm. 13 was was sort of right off into the sunset kind of a moment. And, um, and then they added new episodes. We had sort of, we were in the middle of, 13 was just kind of coming off the board, so it had been sort of broken. And then to add six more is tough because you don't want people to feel like, oh, the episode the season ended at 13, now what? Mm-hmm. So we ended up paring back some of the things we wanted to do in both 12 and 13. Oh, I see. So it didn't feel like such a climax. So, it, so it, it, they still felt like big, important episodes, but it didn't necessarily feel like it was all over. All the stories had been tied up and, and all and all the loose ends and all of that sort of stuff. So so we, we had a a bigger um, version of twelve and thirteen that we wanted to do that we had to pare down a little bit so it not didn't feel like the season was over. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it and it was a, it was a very strong episode. It was very well received by by the fans. Uh, great job oh, on that one. Good. Um, were, are there any stories in particular you can tell about that that episode? Uh, things that might have been a challenge or things that were were fun to to do.
0: Yeah. Well, it's always you know it's always like it's always the stupid things that people hopefully won't tell when they watch it. But it's you know a location that was difficult or, you know, something that didn't look as, as good as we wanted to. or We didn't have the pieces. The, the restaurant scene where um, Chuck is interrupts Shaw's dinner mm-hmm. with, uh, with Sarah, and then you've got the guys in the van, and then you've got Morgan, and he makes a crank phone call, and then the police show up, and the ring shows up, and, you know, all of that kind of chaos. That was the hardest part of that episode to get right. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, and it required, because there were so many pieces. Mm -hmm. And some of the pieces they weren't able to get, because, you know, this season, we've been shooting the episode in one fewer days than we had last season. Yeah. So it's very difficult. So they just couldn't get all the pieces. So we were really struggling until the very last minute. We had to go in and and shoot some extra stuff, some extra angles and things like that. So you had all the parts to make that sequence work.
1: Wow, well, it's, it's really seamless on screen.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, you know that's the that's the dream. The dream is that no one knows how hard you worked on it
1: <laughs> yeah well and, and actually, in particular, I noticed that this episode had a lot of location stuff. It was a lot yeah. less uh I know um Scott Rosenbaum when he was on last week, he talked about how Chuck versus the beard he he had a, a what do you call it, a bottle episode where he had to do almost mm-hmm. everything on set, yeah, um this seemed like the opposite, like there was a lot that it was outside of the regular sets.
0: Yeah, well, that's, uh, well, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and 12, because when it was originally conceived, it was supposed to be the second to last episode. I mean, there was a, a version of 12 at one time that took place in Paris. Wow. So, yeah. So, it's it was, you know, definitely a different take on it. But, like, you know, like the restaurant that, that they had dinner in and that we, you know, drew or Awesome Go, th- uh, you know, through the window and, and tackled Shaw and all that. That was uh, on the lot. That was on the Warner Brothers lot. So even though it's not on our set, it was Mm -hmm. still on the Warner Brothers lot. Okay. Um, But some of the other locations, like the warehouse and some of the ring stuff, was was off the lot. Um, So, yes, that episode uh, 309, the beard, was what we call a bottle episode, which is, you know, once or twice a year. You end up having to do, and the idea is hopefully the audience wouldn't know that this is why it's happening mm-hmm. but for budget reasons you have to shoot a whole episode just on your sets pretty much yeah. yeah and so uh we did the beard this year last year we did um an episode where uh someone drove a car into the buy more Oh, episode. the christmas one the christmas yeah. episode and if you notice that mostly all takes place on our set yeah. yeah um because you know, just the nature you got to eventually sort of catch up money wise somewhere. I think season one, we did an episode called The Marlin, which where there was a break in the buy Right. All so the Marlin and all of that. So you try and create storylines that could take place, you know, in the buy on your sets.
1: Well, you know, the uh, funny thing uh, is, uh, those are some of my favorite episodes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's good. It because what happens with those episodes are, and the reason that they always come out very good is because they have to be about character. Mm-hmm. And because they can't be, you know, it's not, oh, we found the ring compound and we're infiltrating, and you know all of that stuff, which is important and necessary to, to moving the story forward. But I think the stuff that always resonates the best for audiences is, is when it comes back and it's just about the people and the characters and you're learning new things about your characters and mm-hmm. things
1: like that. I should say, save money more often.
0: But they, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough. You can't. They're very hard to break. Though those episodes. Yeah, so they take a lot of time in the writers' room on on them because it's very tricky how to tell, keep telling a story while you're just in one location or two locations. Yeah,
1: that's going to wrap up the the Chuck part. But, uh, you're now, you your work on Hitched is done, or are you still continue to work on that?
0: No, no, we're not. We haven't even shot it yet. So oh, okay. We're just about to start that. We um. You know we've written the script and we're in the casting process now, and we're pretty much all cast just one or two very small, one one uh, role that needs to be cast.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and then a couple of real small roles, but but one of the sort of main ensemble we're still casting. And then we start on Monday with what they call the table read, and then we sort of rehearse it all week next week, and then we shoot it the following week. Great. And, uh, yeah.
1: and so now, that, is that something that's planned to go into series, or is that just a TV movie, or, or how, how does that work? And,
0: and, well, the way the way they, the way they do uh, pilots is, uh, you know, they shoot some pilots, and then they basically decide what they're going to air when their pilots have come in, and they decide which of their old shows aren't going to be returning, which ones are going to be returning, how many slots they have, what programs fit well with those. So we won't know if it's going to be on in the fall until, like, mid-May. Mm-hmm. So it's for CBS, is the network. Yeah. Um, and it's a sitcom, and they have it's in the vein of How I Met Your Mother, which is a, you know, good successful show for them. So oh, okay. Sort of like that, and uh, yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll have to see how it comes out.
1: Yeah. So, and what are your plans for after that?
0: After that, some sleep. <laughs> a lot of sleep, and then uh, you know I'll have to see if Hitch if Hitch gets picked up, then I'll be working on that. Uh, possibly returning for Chuck for a four season or uh, something different. Wow. Wow. We don't know. Future is uncertain.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. I know you've got a couple of young kids.
0: And, no, no, uh, it's okay. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. I appreciate it. it was, uh, you know, if we can get any publicity we can get for the show right now, it would be great.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking the time, and, and thank no, you listen, for... I
0: appreciate it. I thank you so much.
1: Yeah, and thanks for giving us uh, a great thing to do on Monday nights. Oh, beautiful. Terrific. Yeah. yeah Keep watching. Okay, so best of luck to you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. And we're back. This next interview was taped this week with Matt Miller, and it's all about Human Target, which airs on Fox on October 1st, and I think you'd do well to check it out. Enjoy. So this is Gray Jones, and I'm here with Matt Miller, executive producer and showrunner of Human Target on Fox. How are you doing, Matt? I'm great, Gray. How are you? Doing great, thanks. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy man now. That's okay. Yeah, my pleasure. We'll get to season two of Human Target in a bit, but first, um, I'd love to pick it up where we left off in our last interview. If you remember, um, when we spoke last, you were finishing work on the hitched pilot, and you had no idea if Chuck was going to be renewed. Um, and when when was it that Human Target came calling?
0: Uh, I basically had just finished work on the pilot that I had co-written and co-produced with uh, Chuck's Josh Schwartz. And so we had finished that, handed it in, and was sort of just leaving the lot and got a phone call from Peter Roth, the president of Warner Brothers, to come into his office immediately. And that's when we sort of started talking about Human Target. Mm -hmm. And what were your first impressions? Well, you know, I hadn't seen the show, so I was able to watch, uh, had to go home immediately. They were in a bit of a time crunch because mm-hmm. they needed someone to sort of come on board and, and, and run the show and pitch Fox on the take and all that. And they only had a few days to do it because uh, the upfronts were coming up. So I sort of ran home and had a Plow through twelve episodes and then come up with a take and so it happened very very
1: quickly hmm and uh, and so did you have to pitch them on on already on what you were thinking needed to be changed or or did you have a little bit of time to to deal with it well no i had
0: to then I had to figure that out so i so I had to come up with uh, on what what my version or my take would be on the show, pitch that to Warner Brothers, pitch it to Fox, and then you know get them to like it at least enough that they uh, picked it up for season two
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And here we are. I already know a little bit about uh, about the changes that you're planning. You mentioned them at Comic Con, and yeah. I, I I totally agree. I know my my first impressions. I I watched all the shows in a row, and I was really impressed. I, I thought great yeah. action, very very strong cast, and the character yes. the character interplay is excellent. I mean, Chai McBride, Mark Valley, Jack Earl, Haley they're great together. Oh, what what a team! Um, and, and funny. I I mean, you throw Chai McBride in a room, it's going to be funny. But yeah, at the same time, I was feeling just a little claustrophobic at times, not just, Uh not just in the interior locations, but just in the fact that it was very male centric. Yes. And so, um, was that also your impression of
0: it? Yeah, it was. It was It was a very male show and, you know, obviously wonderful banter between the guys, but, you know, felt like it needed some females, felt like it needed to open up a little bit, both, you know, in terms of the cast and the storytelling as well as visually, you know, so we're visiting different countries this year and just giving it a little bit more pop and a little bit more um, wish fulfillment.
1: Mm-hmm. So tell me briefly about the new female characters.
0: Uh, well, there's two. Uh, the first is named uh, Ilse Pucci, and she is a, a mid-30s, a, a widowed wife of a uh, billionaire, and, uh, and her husband was killed under mysterious circumstances. So she hires our team in the first episode back to help her out mm-hmm. and ends up, by the end of that episode, kind of buying the team and becomes our sort of female Charlie. Yeah. And so, you know, not only does Chance now have to deal with a boss, but he also has, you know, uh uh access to her, you know, her wealth, her pocketbook, her private planes, their her entire access. Uh-huh. Oh,
1: I I I can just imagine it's gonna be a great mix. Yeah. Um, I, I mean Chai McBride having a female boss. Yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> gotta be friction. It's great. Yeah. So now you, you've said that you also want to relate it to character more. Uh, can you talk about this a little bit?
0: Yeah, well, just uh, basically uh, to you know, flesh out the characters in a way so that some of the episodes aren't just about saving a guest star of the week, but that our characters themselves are a little bit more emotionally involved or connected to the cases that we're working on. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I know a lot, of, a lot of the fans have been a little bit nervous about the, the new female characters coming in, because what they really felt was the the strongest part of the first season was
0: that that trio yeah, well, the trio is i think it actually enhances the trio because it gives them more to play and more to sort of complain about and uh and in no way does it uh minimize, but it actually i think it actually helps that initial core
1: trio of those guys mm-hmm. and that's not the only thing that's changing i I know um I keep in touch with Chuck composer Tim Jones, and he told me actually a few months back when you had approached him to do the music for human target can you talk about this this change
0: yeah well uh you know another one of the things that we're doing is we're we're adding some sort of needle drops to the show this season where you know it was all uh orchestration last year and for financial and a variety of other reasons we've decided to go away from that and so we're going to have some needle drops and tim's comes has come in to help us out a bit with the score itself and giving it a little bit more uh pace and energy Mm-hmm.
1: Now, Bear McCreary was the, the previous composer. That's correct. Um, I understand that Tim is going to follow a lot of the same directions to make sure there's a consistency, but just take it a little further? Yes. I think that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one question that a lot of fans had was um, these needle drops, the songs. Um, how How do you see—like, I guess people— have expressed that they're they're afraid the songs are going to turn it into the OC or something. Like, how do you see the songs the coming in?
0: Yeah, I, I don't think we <laughs> we would really be turning it in. We're talking about one or two an episode to just yeah. add a little bit more contemporary fun to it. I think that for those people that are concerned or curious about it, I think all we can say is you'll have to wait and see the episodes and uh, hope that you like them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I definitely can't wait.
0: And it's October first. Yeah. October first is our premiere date. Yeah. yeah,
1: and why why was that changed? Just
0: scheduling? Or... Uh, yeah. I, I, actually, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, I'm not sure. Uh, some things that are beyond my control. I'm perfectly happy with it. I guess it gives us another week to get everything ready. But I'm um, I, I, I I actually don't even know. Mm-hmm. So uh, so you're moving to Friday
1: nights. You're becoming yeah. more character driven. You're adding female characters. Obviously, you want to open up this show to a new audience um how how do you how do you balance that making sure that you i mean number one, you had a cliffhanger at the end of the first season, so you've got to pick up where that story left off and then right. you've got a whole new direction um that you're taking the show. Is that a tough balance
0: uh yeah, it is It was very difficult for a while. I think we're hopefully in a rhythm now that seems to be working pretty nicely but but uh yeah it was it was a lot of balls in the air and uh you know the idea has to be and and has always been to to create a a, a version of the show that feels in keeping with everything that the fans liked last year. mm mm-hmm. Mhm and uh and and but also be able to turn on some 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 new audience members so it's a it's a delicate balancing act and um you know i I think we're delivering a a fun action-packed uh show that will feel uh you know faithful to last season Mm -hmm. and what uh
1: what can you tell me about um things that you've brought from chuck
0: yeah, I mean I actually got to tell you, and I think the action on Chuck was incredible, but the things that they were have been able to achieve on Human Target I think even surpasses that. Mm-hmm. And they have a great crew up there in Vancouver, not the Chuck's Crows and Fabulous as well, but they have a great crew. The producer director is a guy named Steve Boyum who comes from like a stunt background and just truly understands action in, mm-hmm. in a very deep way. So that part of, of, of Human Target has been has been fun to just sort of play with all of their toys mm-hmm. that they have. But you know, I did like this sort of uh, buddy comedy kind of bantery version of uh, Chuck, and certainly some of that was already in Human Target, and will continue to be. Chuck is a a lighter and more comedic show Mm -hmm. than Human Target is. Um, but there's still like some lessons to be learned from from both the action, levity, and the relationships.
1: Yeah. Now I understand that the previous showrunner John Steinberg is is still part of the writing staff. Um, That's correct. Is is that challenging or, or t- talk about that um, change?
0: Well, I, you know, I'm, there's a couple. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that John is an incredibly talented, smart. Um, An invaluable member of the staff in the sense that he just knows these characters as well as and or better than anyone and uh, and writes the show so well and has such a great head for action and for storytelling. So we've been very, very, very lucky that he stayed on with the show and is, mm-hmm. is helping as much as he is. Yeah. And, you know, he's... A, he, he, everything about sort of the changing of the guard in terms of, um, you know, the responsibilities that he has last year versus what he's doing this year. He's, he's you know, just... Ref- For me, illuminates um, you know how what a great guy he is and and his character that he's been able to transition so well.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Now that is a little bit of of what happens when you're when you're producing a show, even as a senior writer on Chuck, you would often lead the room, right? Yes, yes. Giving notes to each other, and that was
0: definitely one of the things I would do on Chuck. Yes, yeah.
1: Um, And so, tell
0: me about the rest of the writers on the show, just briefly. Uh, The writers on Human Target? Yeah. I I brought over one writer from Chuck named Zev Barrow. Mm Mm-hmm who's uh, enormously talented, and then we also have on the show from last year, there's John. Also returning from last year is Brad Kern, Mm -hmm. and also returning from last year is a uh, a great writer named Robert Levine. Great. And uh, new writers that we have on the show, besides uh, Zev Borrow from Chuck, are Andrea Newman, Mm -hmm. uh, a writer named Dan McDermott, who wrote the movie Eagle Eye.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, Uh, great.
0: David Simpkins, who's written and created a number of shows, including Warehouse 13. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh Lilla and Nora Zuckerman, uh who came over from Fringe last year.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm trying not to leave anyone out. A new writer we just hired named Dan Fessman, yeah. very talented guy, worked on NCIS for a long time. And you know, it's just it's it's a super talented, uh, great staff. And we're very lucky. Thirteen episodes again? It's thirteen episodes, but certainly with the possibility of more if if you know if everything goes well.
1: Great. Um so uh, I know we don't have much time left. Uh, let me jump ahead okay. a little bit to um, sure. this. This is the TV writer podcast uh, um, for Script Magazine, and and uh, so we're uh, there's some questions that writers always have, especially beginning writers and and people are yeah. trying to break in. Um, yeah, when you're hiring writers, do you prefer reading specs or do you prefer reading original material?
0: You mean like specs of television shows versus reading original? You know, for me, I like reading original material. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's easier to sort of uh, understand how a writer writes and their voice and the way that they think, um, because they're having to build the whole thing from scratch, as opposed to characters that have already been built for them and things like that. So for my personal preference, I like original material.
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And uh, for for
1: your own process, I know you've been doing this for quite a while now, but um, what what is your favorite book, or a book that you can recommend to somebody who who's trying to break in? A book to read about the business? About the business, or about writing? Something that you found helpful to you?
0: Well, there's um, there's a book, uh, you know, there's just entertaining books like uh, you know, Adventures in the Screen Trade, William mm-hmm. Goldman, but also you know, the Joseph Campbell books are incredibly useful, just in terms of um, you know, storytelling and uh, and learning about you know, just The art of story, and obviously, Robert McKee's books are are pretty popular. Mm -hmm.
1: And what would your advice be to a writer who who is trying to break in?
0: Uh, You know, keep writing. There's no better training than writing, 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 and read as much as you can. You know, it depends on where you live. If you live in Los Angeles, then, you know, any job that you can get working as a reader where you're reading script after script after script after script is going to help you with your own writing, but also as much as you can possibly write, Mm -hmm. write and and work on it and shape it and, you know, writing is rewriting. So keep working on it. Keep figuring it out. Don't just abandon the idea immediately. Work on it until you feel like you've written all you can write on that story. And then, you know, turn your attention to something else. But but discipline and uh, and productivity. It's very, very easy to uh, to, you know, write once a week or twice a week. You really got to do it, you know, as much as you can, five days a week, seven days a week.
1: Great. Well, I know that I can't wait to see Human Target. I I love actually um, following writers, and as soon as I found out that you were going to Human Target, I, I got the season one, and me and my wife watch, watched it together and, and just loved it. So we can't wait for season two.
0: Oh, great. Oh, great. All right, beautiful. Well, I'm thrilled that you'll watch it, and yeah, let me know what you think.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly will.
0: Okay, fabulous.
1: Well, I know you didn't have a lot of time, but I think we covered everything we needed to cover. So um Beautiful. Well, thanks, great. Thanks for doing it. I, I appreciate it, and I will talk to you soon. Great. Thanks so much. Take, okay. take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And we're back. If you haven't watched Human Target, I really, really urge you to, especially if you're into action. It's a great show, dynamic characters, great comedy, and I really look forward to seeing what he, what Matt Miller's going to bring to it in season two. I, I honestly had the exact same feelings about season one. Great show, but really in need of some, some stronger female characters, and I think it's going to be a great dynamic. I really look forward to seeing um, what he brings to the table. Um, So set your calendar, Human Target, Friday, October 1st on Fox at 8 p.m. And as we close out, I wanted to tell you about some of the resources that are available. First of all, uh, I want to tell you about the website, tvwriterpodcast.com. I urge you to go visit and see what's there. There's a lot more detail about me, about the podcast, about the interviewees. There's a really important thing, which is a request list. If you would like to request a writer from your favorite TV show, you can request it there. First, check the list that's on the site. Make sure that it's not already on the list. And then absolutely post your request and I will do my best to get to your show. There's also an ever expanding list of helpful writing links. You can send your suggestions to mail at tvwriterpodcast.com. They're categorized in a number of different categories and uh, my hope for that list is that it's going to be a springboard for all of the resources out there that'll be helpful to you in your writing. There's also, if you notice, a support page. Uh, We do need support on the podcast. Um, If you are interested in sponsorship, if you have a business or product that relates to writing, we'd love to advertise it here and on the site. Donations are always welcome. There's a handy Amazon mini store with some featured writing books that you may not have thought of that uh, if you click on them and order there, it gives a little kickback to us. And as well, if you want to just browse the entire Amazon store, there's a link that you can do that where any purchase that you make in any category at amazon.com, there's a little percentage that will come back to help support the podcast. Also, even though you can access the podcast through iTunes, if you have a choice and you're watching it on your computer anyway, it's helpful if you can watch it in a web browser. There's a number of ways you can do that. You can watch it at scriptmag.com. You can watch it at tvwriterpodcast.com or you can watch it at uh, tvwriterpodcast.blip.tv. And there's an extra little feature with that one and that's that if you wanna embed it on your own blog, There's code there that you can actually embed it on your your own blog or website, and we'd we'd love for you to do that. Anytime anybody watches in a web browser for free, it gives us a little kickback because there's little ads that pop up. So uh, if you do that and you don't have any cash to give, you can support us in that way. Also, if you're on Facebook, you can come visit the TV Writer Podcast Facebook page. There's a little link on the bottom right of the website to help you get there. I urge you to to do that. There's uh, some... Discussions that go on there, If you uh, also requests, and, and um, if you want to discuss podcasts, you can do it there or on the website. Also, I do invite you to check out scriptmag.com. They've recently completely overhauled their website, and I think you're going to like it. Also, their digital subscriptions are an incredible value. For only $12.95, you not only get a year's access to the digital magazine, but you actually get over six years of back issues for free. Uh, I I don't know of any other screenwriting magazine that offers that. You can even save them as PDF files and read them later when you're offline. Just tremendous, incredible value. So please check that out. The next few weeks are going to be busy. We'll be featuring our Countdown to Launch promotion, bringing you behind the scenes of many fall TV shows before they launch or return for the new seasons. You can get more details on Countdown to Launch and What's in the Pipe at tvwriterpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Gray Jones is my handle, or you can send an email to mail at tvwriterpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hosted by Grey Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for scriptwriting information in print and on the web, and by Final Draft scriptwriting software, the entertainment industry standard for scriptwriting worldwide.